hear that word good a lot, don't we? What comes to your mind when you hear the word good? How about when you're trying to, to describe a, a person that you know? Who could you say in your life uh, that you know or maybe have known that is good? Maybe they're good at a hobby. Maybe they're good at a position or a role in life. Maybe you've had a good boss. I'm sure there's some of those around. A good father. A good mother. Maybe even a good child. We know that when we say that word, sometimes it doesn't encompass everything that we're trying to get across, right? So we use that word and we can kind of get used to that word. We can say a lot of things are good. Well, Jesus is called a good shepherd. And the word that is used here for good has a, has a range that I want us to be thinking about as we go through this passage today. So the word here for good can be understood as honorable, can be understood as noble, beneficial, and even beautiful. And when you and I use that word good to describe uh, people, we know one thing, that people are not good all the time, are they? Uh, we don't always live up to that characteristic. As a matter of fact, we're uh, pretty inconsistent. Not so with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, and he is the good shepherd all the time. Folks, there is not a day that goes by that your souls are not watched and cared for by the good shepherd. He's noble. He's upright. He's beautiful. And he's honorable. All of these words are in relationship to you and I. How he treats us. How he thinks about us. How he cares for us. And how he loves us. Doesn't that just give you a sigh of relief? Knowing the fields and the pastures that we're traveling through right now. No matter what happens in this world, you and I are cared for by a good shepherd. There are four characteristics uh, that we're going to look at today in this passage uh, that speak to Jesus as the good shepherd. Uh, beginning in verse 11, he loves his sheep sacrificially. Verses 11 through 13. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he is not concerned about the sheep. Heard a news story the other day, uh, and it's about the it's about the war in Ukraine. 
and it involves uh, the sending of Russian conscripts into the war, uh, these men that are forced uh, to go. So when they turn 18, they have to serve one year. And they're being sent over uh, to the front lines. And what is happening is a majority of these conscripts uh, that are forced to go are actually surrendering. Uh, they're not fulfilling their duties. Uh, matter of fact, some entire Russian units have laid down their arms without a fight after confronting a surprisingly stiff Ukrainian defense, one official says. Another official says that a significant number of the Russian troops are these young conscripts and they are poorly trained. They are ill-prepared for the all-out assault. And in some cases, uh, these troops have deliberately punched holes in their vehicle's gas tanks, presumably to avoid combat. In one story, their tanks are left unprotected by the infantry uh, who are following along in the armored personnel carriers. Why? Because they have one year. They have one year and they don't want to die. Hired hands. As opposed to the Ukrainian soldiers who are volunteering even at a younger age and willing to fight to the death. Jesus compares himself with a hired hand. Uh, someone who is not willing to put their life on the line for the sheep. Uh, it's interesting because danger reveals the character of the individual that's involved. Uh, danger regarding the sheep actually reveals the character of the shepherd. So Jesus compares himself and he says, I am the good shepherd. And what is typical of a good shepherd is a good shepherd is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. He gives his life sacrificially so that the sheep can live. This is really the cornerstone or the central focus of Jesus' ministry as a shepherd. Jesus isn't in it for the money. Jesus isn't in it for himself. Jesus loves his sheep and he loves his sheep sacrificially and he is willing to lay down his life for them. The word for is important in John because it is often used in the sacrificial context. So typically, uh, a shepherd actually doesn't want to lose his life, does he? Because if he loses his life, then the sheep are then in bigger trouble. However, it's in, in what Jesus is saying here, it's actually the laying down of his life. He actually places his body in harm's way in, in this danger that actually saves the sheep from being harmed by the wolf and being scattered abroad. This is Jesus' heart for you and me. Jesus uses this phrase, I'm the good shepherd, two times. He's reassuring us. He wants you and I to know something about him. He wants you and I to see and to know how much he loves us. This is where he starts. As a matter of fact, this is the very entrance into his fold, is through his death. If this is his character for his sheep, 
before they do anything good or bad, if this is his character for us, how much more so now? He's willing to lay down his life. He places his body in harm's way so that you and I can live. The hired hand is in it for himself, and we realize that we learn a lot about people when danger comes, don't we? The guy who is in it for himself, the guy who is selfless, the guy who is just in it for the money, he says, I, I don't care about these sheep. They stink, they're smelly, forget it, uh, they're bad behavior, I'm just going to turn the other way. We learn a lot about people when things get difficult. It reveals their character. We learn a lot about our friends uh, when life gets hard and when life gets messy. It reveals to us their concern for us. It reveals to us the value that people see in us. He sees and he flees. And I think that as leaders and as people involved in ministry as well, we need to see that this is a characteristic of good leadership. That good leadership... Good shepherds or good under-shepherds are not in it for themselves. They're in it for the sheep. The care and concern needs to be for the sheep. The sheep's well-being, not for the person or for the individual. This is the heart of Jesus' ministry. He's the good shepherd because he gives us his life. And in doing so, saves us from eternal peril. He's concerned for them. He loves them. And second, he knows them. The second characteristic of a good shepherd is they know each other intimately. Verses 14 through 15. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. How many people here try to hide certain aspects about themselves? How many people share? So yeah, me too. How many people like when everybody knows everything about them. Uh, Yeah, shaking your heads, no. Why is that? Why is it hard to reveal ourselves to people? Maybe we've been hurt in the past. Maybe you've revealed your heart to individuals and they've kind of just kind of pushed it aside and uh, maybe what you loved or what you felt was important or who you were or something about you, they just kind of were like, ah, and didn't treat it properly. And then you begin to put on these masks to be known. Why is it hard for us to reveal ourselves to others? I think a lot of times it's because that we fear 
of being rejected. So listen to what Timothy Keller uh, says about being known and being loved. To be loved but not known is a is comforting, but it is superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness. And it fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. i tell you something here today. Jesus Christ knows you fully and loves you fully. Jesus Christ knows you completely and loves you unconditionally. What is the entrance into our relationship, we just said, with Jesus Christ is his sacrifice, is his death for us. And he dies for us while we are yet sinners. If he does that while you and I are sinners, how much more is he going to continue to love us now? We don't have to wear masks with Jesus Christ. It's kind of interesting because sometimes the more you know someone, the less you like them. And I would actually probably say the more you know someone, the probably less you're willing to die for them. Uh, that is the absolute opposite with Jesus Christ. And, and granted, we're, we, we come into that relationship with him as sinners, and he knows that, and he wants to change that in us. But he accepts us as we are, but changes us in that acceptance. He loves us. He knows us fully, and he loves us unconditionally. The word here for know is not just an intellectual knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. It is an intimate knowledge. And it is an exhaustive knowledge. And it is the same word that is used in the marriage relationship. And it is a reciprocal knowledge. He knows us. And he also reveals himself to us. Sometimes you have conversations with people and they're, they're, you're talking and, and maybe they're sharing a lot and then you try to go ahead and share and they're like, ah, I'm just going to turn away and they stop talking to you and you don't really know each other. Uh, you feel like you might know them, but they don't know you. It is the opposite here. Uh, Jesus Christ shares and reveals himself to us. That's what he's doing right here. He's revealing his heart towards his sheep. And he wants his sheep to know, hey, I'm a good shepherd. I love you this much. I'm willing to lay down my life for you. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what he does. And I know you. I know you intimately. He knows all our likes and dislikes. He knows what makes us happy. He knows what brings us down. He knows all your past successes and all your failures. He knows all your gifts. He knows all your abilities. He knows the things that you're not comfortable with. He knows your passions. He knows your ambitions. 
He knows us even when we don't understand ourselves. What is said here in the comparison of this relationship, it, it's just actually mind-blowing. In Ephesians, he compares the marriage relationship to himself and the church. But here he compares this relationship between the sheep and the shepherd to God the Father and God the Son. That is the most intimate, personal, unified relationship ever to exist. And that is the relationship used in comparison between Jesus Christ and his sheep. That's how well he knows you. And we can definitely see that that relationship between God the Father and God the Son is a relationship that has existed and will exist for all time. That is a relationship that will never break. And that is the same relationship used in comparing to the sheep and the shepherd. He reveals himself to us and he knows us. And this is what community and relationship looks like. And I, I think we can learn something uh, about what it means to know each other here in the church. How well do we know each other? How much are we willing to share with one another? And I hope that each and every one of us can come to a place where we feel comfortable sharing with one another, knowing that this is a body that reflects this type of love and acceptance. And, and sometimes I think we go through our relationship with Christ and, and, and we, we do these certain things and and, and we, we think that he's eventually just going to kick us out of the fold. He's going to say, you know what? Ah, you're really messing things up here. I'm kind of done with you. I'm going to kind of leave you on that hill. You just hang out right here. We're going to go over here to this pasture. And I think we think about that and we, and we begin to have this performance mentality. He already knows those things about you. He knows the type of sheep that you are. And he loves you unconditionally. And it's not a superficial knowledge. It's a deep, intimate, personal knowledge. You're in a relationship with the creator of the universe. And you can be sure that he is not going to let anything happen to you. You can be sure that he loves you fully. The third aspect is he gathers his sheep completely. Verse 16 He says this, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. 
After his ordination in 1969, author and pastor Philip Johnson received a call to serve one large church and ten smaller churches on the northern coast of Newfoundland, Canada. On the first day of his new circuit ministry, uh, Johnson learned that in order to get to the smallest of churches, he would have to travel 40 miles by snowmobile to a tiny village. When Johnson arrived, how many people do you think showed up? One person. It was a fisherman. He traveled about 20 miles to get there. Johnson initially thought about just saying a prayer and calling it a day. I would have been mad if I were that fisherman and the guy just did all that. But then he realized that together he and the the fisherman had logged 60 miles of travel and had 60 more miles to return home. With that in mind, Johnson decided to conduct the whole service as as if there were a few hundred worshipers. They did it all. They they sang the songs, they did the readings, they said some, said some prayers, uh, and he did the sermon, and then followed it up by the Lord's Supper and the benediction. It was during the sermon, as he's preaching the sermon, he was wondering why he did it in the first place, because the, the fisherman uh, was never looking up at all, didn't seem to be engaged at all, so he just said, I don't know why I did all this. But then when he went and he greeted the fisherman at the door and thanked him for coming, he received a pleasant surprise. This is what the fisherman said. He said, Reverend, I've been thinking about becoming a Christian for about 30-odd years now. Today's that day. 30 years, 60 miles. Why do you think that pastor went and did that job that day. I think he was being led by his shepherd. I want you to see what Jesus says here. So it is, it is the death of Christ that enables him to bring in all of the sheep. Uh, later on in Isaiah, uh, he says, the Lord God who gathered, I mean, earlier on in Isaiah, he said, the Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares, yet others, I will gather them to those already gathered. Uh, Jesus laying down of his life opens the door for you and me. But I want you to see what Jesus says here. He says, I must bring them also. He takes the responsibility upon himself. There is no distance, there is no amount of time that will prohibit Jesus from bringing in his sheep. Just like this lowly fisherman goes to church after 30 years, becomes a Christian, Jesus is going to gather all of his sheep unto himself. Folks, this should be one of the greatest motivations for evangelism, reading a verse like this. Because we go out, we pray, and we witness, 
time after time, and maybe we're witnessing to the same person over and over and over and over and over again. Maybe we've been praying for the same individuals over and over and over again. And we can lose heart. But we see here that whose responsibility is it to bring in the sheep? It's his responsibility. And you can be absolutely certain that there is not one sheep that Jesus is going to leave on those hills. I watched a video. I was going to try to play it. I've never played a video for the, uh, the sermon, and it wasn't going to work. So we're not going to play it anyway. But if you have a chance, I'll try to send out the link. Uh, and it shows this shepherd. And he just goes to the bottom of this hillside, and there's a huge mist of fog. And he just begins to call. And you don't see the sheep. You can't see them because of all the fog. And they're up scattered on the hills. And as he begins to just say this call, all these little sheep, you hear them start and coming and running down the hill. And, and you didn't see them at first. And then they all come running. And they all come running and they just gather right around his feet. That is exactly what Jesus is saying here. They hear his voice and they're going to come running. It may take those sheep a little longer to get there. One, you know, you just got one tumbling down the hill. You got one kind of straying off and doing this. But they are all going to gather around his feet. You can be encouraged of that. If, if they belong to Jesus Christ, he's going to make sure they come. No matter what. 60 miles, 30 years Jesus takes it upon himself. I must bring them in. And he does that through you and me. That's, that's, a, that's a confidence we can have for evangelism, isn't it? We can go out, we can preach the gospel, we can be bold in preaching the gospel, we can be unashamed in preaching the gospel, and we can know that those sheep are going to, those little sheep, they're going to hear it. And they're going to come running. He doesn't leave any behind. He gathers them all to himself. He's not done until they're all home. And he brings them in and they become an everlasting flock with one shepherd. Fourth and final characteristic is he dies for his sheep voluntarily. Verses 17 through 18. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. On January 8, 2011, outside of a grocery store in Tucson, Arizona, a troubled college dropout named Jared Lee Loeffner opened fire, killing six people and injuring 13 others. He also shot and severely injured U.S. Representative Gabrielle Giffords. Dorwin, or Dory Stoddard, 
He was a 76-year-old retired construction worker, was among six people of those six people shot to death. The reason why Stoddard was shot to death was because he used his body to shelter his wife, Mavnil, who was 75, protecting her from the gunfire. The next week, several hundred mourners gathered for a memorial service for Dory. His loved ones remembered this fact. Dory didn't become a hero during that tragic shooting. For years, he lived with the character of a hero. On January 8, 2011, he acted in tune with that character. At his service, his pastor, Mike Nowak, said this, Dory Stoddard didn't die a hero, he lived a hero. He completed his heroic act of kindness one final time with his wife, Mavi. It's exactly what Jesus Christ does. I want you to notice something. Jesus does not earn the Father's love by giving up his life and taking it up again. He was not forced into this situation. As one commentator puts it, it is not that the Father withholds his love until Jesus agrees to give up his life and rise again. Rather, the love of the Father for the Son is eternally linked with the unqualified obedience of the Son to the Father, his utter dependence culminating in the greatest act of obedience before him, the willingness to bear the shame and ignominy of Golgotha, the isolation and rejection of death, the sin and curse reserved for the Lamb of God, and Jesus Christ did this voluntarily for you and for me. He acted out of his character. This is who he is. He's laid down his life voluntarily for his sheep. The death of Christ was no accident. He was not a martyr for some human concocted ideal or belief. His life was not taken by men, but it was freely given for them. And this was planned before the foundation of the world. Voluntarily, obediently, willingly. And he did so to secure our salvation so that you and I can live eternally with him, sharing in his resurrection. We often think of this, and we, we, we know this truth. We say it often. That he gave his life freely for us. But we have to remember that this willingness to die was not, is not to be disconnected from the emotional anguish and pain that ensued in it. Where do we see this the most? 
this willingness, but this anguish, we see it in the garden. It shows the emotion. It shows his, his pain. It shows his anxiety. It shows his stress. But it also shows his willingness to be in complete obedience to the Father. And he prays, Lord, if so, let this cup pass. He knew what he was about to experience for you and me. How many times do you think he saw people that were crucified? And he said, one day that's going to be me. But not my will. Your will be done. One commentator says, The intense anguish and sorrow that Jesus felt was certainly understandable. He was in so much anguish that his his sweat was mixed with blood. It's called hematidrosis. It's real, but it's it's rare, but it's real. Being God, the commentator says, Christ knew all that was going to happen to him. He knew in painstaking detail the events that were going to follow. He was being, going to be portrayed by one of his own disciples. He knew that he was about to undergo several trials where people were witnessing against him and it would all be a lie. He knew that many who hailed him as the Messiah only days earlier would be screaming for his death and crucifixion. He knew that he would be flogged to the point of death before they pounded metal spikes into his flesh. He knew the prophetic words of Isaiah spoken seven centuries earlier that he would be beaten so badly that he would be disfigured beyond that of any man and beyond human likeness. Certainly all these things factored into his anguish and sorrow. Yet there's more. The crucifixion. Most torturous, painful method of execution ever. A despised method reserved for wicked people. In fact, the pain was so horrific that a word was designed to help explain it. Excruciating. That is what was involved in Jesus' willingness and laying down of his life for you and me. He knew all of it, and he did it. He did it because he loves us, because he loves the Father. It is this voluntary death of Jesus Christ that leads to his glorious resurrection and ultimate defeat of death for all time and for all of those who call themselves 
his sheep. That's what he means when he says he's the good shepherd. Epitaphs are a powerful thing, aren't they? It's what is said about us when we die, a window into how we lived our lives and what we think was most important. Ludolf von Sullen, Cullen, a Dutch mathematician who calculated pi, he had on his, uh, his epitaph was engraved into his tombstone and it was pi, 3.14, I ain't going to read all those numbers. He wanted his proudest achievement to be known as he entered into all eternity. Martin Luther King had the following epitaph. Martin Luther King Jr., he said, Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I am free at last. Benjamin Franklin wrote an epitaph for himself. The body of B. Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out, stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here, food for worms. Despite many of his achievements, Franklin wanted to be known first and foremost as a printer. Jesus' epitaph is the cross. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He knows them. He loves them. And he does it willingly. Notice in 19 and 20, again we have a division over these words. Mixed emotions. I'm not sure how people would say he's demonic after saying things like this, but they did. Says the division occurred among the Jews because of these words. Many were saying he has a demon. Some were saying he's insane. Why do you listen to him? Others are saying these are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of a blind, of the blind, can he? My question to you is: What is your response? That's what matters. Maybe you came in here today and you don't think he's a real good shepherd. Maybe you've been doubting that. Maybe you're wondering why he's leading you through the fields that you find yourself in. Maybe you think he's, he's out to harm you. He doesn't care about you anymore. He's forgotten about you. I hope you can be encouraged through what he says. He wants you to be reassured of something. He does love you. He loves you so much. And he knows you so well. Maybe you're thinking about becoming part of his flock. You're just a little leery about that decision. I hope you can see his care 
concern and love that he has for you. And you can be certain. You can trust him with your life. You can trust him with your life because he already gave you his. Everyone else, folks, it's just a hired hand. Father, we thank you for this truth. Thank you for what Christ has done for us. He held absolutely nothing back. He gave us his life, placing himself in our place, our substitution, so that we can live eternally with you. We can never, ever repay you for that.